And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. John Vance. He's former pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church Rock Tavern, now living in West Virginia. He's also a Redeemer board member. Uh, Dr. Vance, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, again, it's, it's my pleasure and delight. Sometimes I look at the news and I just shake my head. Actually, that happens almost every day. Um, you you kind of ask yourself the question, is, is America cracking up? And uh, you look at people becoming unhinged and the vicious, vicious personal attacks, uh, the increasing disregard for the rule of law. Um, as you step back from it and you look at society, what do you think is happening to our society, Pastor Vance? Well, from my perspective, and of course the advantage of being older, uh, is that you have experienced a, a good deal of life, and of course, being a history buff, I've been interested in history and trends for a long time. In fact, uh, I wrote an article in 1987 where, uh, for Presbyterian, that's a uh, publication of Covenant Theological Seminary, and in that article I talked about a fault line uh, that is developing in America and that we are being uh, divided, and an earthquake uh, has probably uh, socially already occurred in our society, uh, much like I talked about back then. But what's happening is that our society has become an extremely coarse uh, for one thing, uh, and so uh, it's unleashed a, a kind of uh, disrespect and hatefulness in our society, this coarseness. Um, uh, but it's more than that, of course. We've become polarized politically. Uh, uh, society is about 50-50 uh, on one side or the other, or maybe three sides. I think we have three sides today, uh, liberal, conservative, and socialist. Um, so, so there are lots of things happening, and of course, you and I uh, uh, pay attention to things, and you probably watch some of the hearings on the uh, Supreme Court nomination, uh, and it, it really is a microcosm of what's happening in our society. Yes, I, I actually did watch some of that, and um, I was struck by... Um, the lack of evidence uh, from the accuser. I don't think we want to get into that whole thing today, but um, I, I thought here in America we operated on the rule of law. Well, when politics becomes an end in itself, and it's not governed, uh, of course, by uh, the sovereign God, and people are have lost a sense of God consciousness, I'll call it that, and I may refer to God consciousness as an interview uh, several times, but a loss of God consciousness and where uh, political issues are ends in themselves, uh, then people play for keeps and it, and rules go out the window. Uh, yeah, uh, we don't need evidence. We need an accusation. That's all we need. Uh, or ever how I feel about this, or you're not on my team. Uh, and we are at a bad place when we find that at the highest levels of our political life and, and how high can, uh, you can't get much higher than, a than uh, nominating someone for the Supreme court. 
uh, in the Senate. And so if those uh, behaviors are manifest at that level, think what it is uh, in other quarters. Yeah. We've lost civility. Yeah, we have. And I, my mind went back to a, an older time, much older, uh, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, where uh, it taught us that one witness is not enough to convict anyone of a crime or offense they may have committed, but the matter is established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Mm-hmm. And and that, that would have been a wonderful principle to, to have in the recent uh, days here in these hearings. Well, it would have brought sanity to the whole issue, <laughs> but that no longer is a norm. No. In some quarters. Could you uh, describe some of the other problems that we face? Dan, we have some real problems problems in our institutions, and I don't think uh, we have uh, maybe the greatest problem, I'll put it this way, uh, is probably within our universities and colleges and what's taking place there. Uh, That's one. Uh, Our news media is no longer uh, a fair arbiter of the news, for sure. Now, that may never have been the case, but it's not been the extreme that it is now. Right. In fact, I would say it's probably never been the case. I, I go back to Walter Cronkite and those kinds of people, and I could tell then, when I was even younger, that the news was being shaded for a political end. But it's not like it is today. Uh, journalists and newsreaders and uh, these, these corporations have become politicized totally, and it's it's almost invariably on the left. Yes. Um, now, you've taught at the university level for some time. Um, 20 fa- years. In fact, you were wearing two hats there for a while, full-time pastor and mm-hmm. part-time mm-hmm. professor. Um, what what do you see? How would you describe what you see? What, what What's happening at these universities? Of course, universities... Uh, used to be, uh, and when I went went to uh, college, off to college, uh, there's no question that there was an attempt to get you to uh, to to grow in knowledge and uh, even refinement. Uh, there was an attempt to educate and educate not just uh, your mind but the whole person. You you, you were taught some. Uh, civility as well, and and uh, I can recall the professors and things uh, demanding it in the classroom mm. uh, that you address one another uh, with civility. Uh, and uh, I taught the last twenty years uh, of my life, uh, and uh, in teaching, I discovered a, a dramatic shift in values. The college that I taught in, and I think this is a general truism for colleges and universities in general, I became more concerned that you had the the right political view, which was always a leftist political view. That seemed to trump education even. And so consequently in the classroom, uh, particularly in these uh, so-called studies programs, you know, like women's studies, black studies, uh, transgender studies, go on and on and on. Uh, it, it became propaganda. Mm-hmm. And uh, so education turned into propaganda. Um, secondly, uh, diversity became a value. 
Hmm. Now think of diversity for a moment. You hear it every day that diversity is our strength. I wonder if the NBA believes diversity is our strength. <laughs> the National Basketball Association. Can you imagine uh, the Los Angeles Lakers deciding that they're going to have an African-American, they're going to have a Native American, they're going to have a white person, a European-American, they're going to have a, uh, a Chinese-American, uh, so forth, and this is going to be our diversity. I'll tell you what would happen. Uh, a group of, of uh, five African-American basketball players would destroy them. <laughs> it's so true. It's on merit. It's on merit that you play in the NBA or in professional sports. And it's on merit that you, you, for instance, you rise to the highest levels to the New York Philharmonic, things like that. It's not necessarily diversity. That doesn't mean anything. It, it's merit. And when this takes over in the, in the colleges and universities, you do get teachers who are promoted and, um, well, lauded, uh, simply because they may be of one race or another, not mm-hmm. necessarily because they're an expert in the field. Uh, this has taken over uh, diversity, and it has diluted uh, education, and uh, it, it's 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 uh, onerous, right? Really, and it costs an enormous amount of money to do this. Yeah. These diversity officers, as uh, Heather McDonald, who is an expert in this field, I hope people get to know her. Uh, Heather McDonald, you'll see her interviewed once in a while on television, but she's done a marvelous work on universities, and she says some of these diversity officers are making a half a million or a million dollars a year, Oh my! and a, a world-famous physicist or chemist or philosopher would never make that kind of money. Yeah. So uh, everything's out the window, and the students are running the insane asylum, so to speak, too, by the way. <laughs> The power really rests with the students uh, anymore. If they decide to protest, uh, the administration is scared to death. We've got many problems. Um, just want to pause for just a moment. And um, what about what's commendable about our society? Well, it sounds like I'm, I'm pouring cold water on everything. But, you know, we have made uh, enormous achievements. I don't know whether. It's dawned on a lot of people or not, but, you know, we actually have a safer society that, uh, today than we did 30 years ago. The, there is not the murder rate. We do have a lot of drugs in our society. That's a change that uh, for the worse. But on the other hand, we, we up until recently, we're living longer. Mm-hmm. Medicine is better. Uh, it's, it's amazing what is taking place in medicine. Our quality of life, if you have... Uh, any desire to engage life at a responsible level, your quality of life in America and Europe is going to be quite high. Yeah, um, it, It's a wonderful thing. We, we are free from so much. Uh, I've done a lot of studies for one reason or another in the 19th century and a lot of ancestry uh, work as well. And uh, most persons who lived on a farm, worked from daylight till dark, every family member at least six days a week to eat out a living. Mm -hmm. We no longer do that. So we've seen progress in those areas, and we do see progress. But but parallel to that, we're seeing uh, maybe a true crack-up of society as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk back on that for a moment. Um, What do you see as the origin of this divisiveness and this polarization? I'll, I'll just cut to the chase and say it's a loss of God consciousness. Mm. 
somewhere after the Civil War in America, now it happened maybe a little earlier in Europe, but somewhere after the Civil War in the English-speaking world, Britain and America, Australia, places like that, uh, we lost a sense that God is there and Francis Schaeffer's famous firms, and he's not at terms, and he's not silent. So we've lost a sense that God has revealed himself, and that he is our highest reason for living, his glory. And uh, we've turned, of course, in a much more secular way. I was reading a poem the other day. It is an absolutely marvelous poem. Uh, it's called Dover Beach. Have you ever heard it? No. Heard of it? Maybe not. Uh, it's by Matthew Arnold, who was an English critic. I don't think he was a strong Christian, but he had Christian values. But he's writing, uh, looking, looking out the window of a beach house, Dover Beach, with I think his sister's in the room with him, and he wrote a poem called Dover Beach. And this is about 1870. And... Uh, I'll just quote a couple of things. He said, the sea of faith was once too at the full, and round the earth's shore lay like folds of bright girdled furled. But now I only hear a melancholy, long withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath, meaning that faith is retreating, and he could see it in mm. his time and place. He was a famous English uh, critic, and he closes that poem with this. He says, and we are here as on a darkling plain where ignorant armies clash by night. Hmm. In other words, he did have the understanding that when God ceases to be the reason for being, for the human being, he is going to turn to darkness and violence. Hmm. Um, and uh, I don't think he was seeing that from a Christian standpoint, I think he was just simply had a, a very keen sense of the times, and that kind of attitude has only grown and progressed in the West. Yeah. And that's why I think that we can have a crack up, a true division in our country. Yes, yes. I, I, it's a withdrawing uh, from God. I sometimes um, see evidence of this simply driving down one of the city streets in Kingston, New York, and what used to be a fairly lovely street, um, increasingly, I'm seeing um, blacked-out windowed cars, um, young men driving them, um, not going out to work, best I can tell. In other words, it's, it's drug trade going on. Oh, yes, it's destroying us. Yeah, and I see these um, murals painted on the side of, of beautiful buildings, and they're as ugly as can be. And uh, it's starting to get the feel on this particular street of of that of uh, p- pictures I've seen or movies I've seen of a of a third world country, and I'm thinking this is happening in Kingston, New York. Wow, are we in trouble? We are losing a generation. We're losing a generation of people to drugs, and yeah. where people withdraw from God, they they first of all begin to believe in everything besides God. Secondly, they lose a sense of goodness, and uh, and those kinds of things which hold us together, and they lose a sense of beauty. Notice you described that as not being beautiful. No. It was turning ugly, 
And that's what happens when we withdraw from God. We turn into our uh, to ugliness, to uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, and I, I think, too, we become um, suicidal at many levels. And uh, even though things are held up uh, as a maybe a progressive cause, something supposedly good, it has the effect of destroying from the inside who we really are. And, and um, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's the culture it. of death. Yeah. yeah. It's the culture of death at work. You mentioned before in this discussion today uh, some phrases, and I know that definitions constantly are shifting around, but just basically, what do you see as the differences between uh, conservative, liberal, progressive, uh, those terms? Well, that's part of our, of course, our political vocabulary. Uh, In the 19th century, uh, as I have studied uh, c- things culturally, uh, liberal and conservative were basically, they were on the same page. Uh, they just simply had a disagreement over how how quickly or how fast and how much should society change. But they pretty much had the same goals in mind, to have a better society. Um, they believed in freedom of uh, speech, freedom of religion, a whole range of things that you find enshrined in our Constitution. And so uh, any change in society was a matter of how fast. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 20th century, liberal and conservative uh, became polarized. Now, conservative means to conserve, of course, uh, and uh, conservative by nature, uh, by disposition, and by uh, design uh, are going to be more conservative in trying to conserve society. They're going to be more traditional. They want to hold on to those things that are good. A liberal uh, wants to change things uh, because there's some kind of anxiety over things are not what they should be, and that's true in our world. Mm-hmm. We live in a fallen world. But when liberalism hitched up with utopianism, uh, it has become, in my opinion, destructive. Because that which is good has become an enemy because it's not perfect. And so they keep agitating for more and more. So liberalism in the 20th century has become a kind of progressive madness in its extremes. And I think that's what is different about our society. Mm. That this utopian, progressive uh, strain of political thinking has attached itself to liberalism, and in many quarters, that's the reason I think we have radicalism. Yeah. And the problem does not rest, in my opinion, with traditional Americans. It rests with those on the left who just simply want to remake society at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes wonder why they, they don't just um, um, try out Venezuela for a while or someplace where socialism is, is really implemented and, and see how they like it. Well, they think, uh, honestly, they think that uh, the reason Venezuela uh, failed, that they really didn't implement these social ideas and utopian ideas, and that's what socialism is. Mm -hmm. They didn't implement it in the right way. Mm. So if you really had a true form of it, it would be almost heaven on earth. Yeah. But of course, this is a failure to take in consideration the Bible's view of human nature. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And uh, so forth. You know, I mentioned how that words kind of change their meaning, and, and you got into it there with the word liberal, because there is something called 
classical liberalism, and it's much different than the liberalism today. But um, there's also a huge change in terms of gender pronouns and that whole movement. Can you uh, comment on that at all? Well, I, I, I will. I don't know how informed I am, but it is a problem, isn't it? And of course, being in, uh, having taught, I, I could see this in the last years of my teaching career, how uh, this came about. Uh, it came about, you remember the word gender uh, when you were growing up and you studied English? Words had gender. They were masculine, feminine, or mm. neuter. So, uh, and gender didn't apply to sex. And somewhere in the 1970s, the feminist movement moved away from calling males and females sexual beings and, and ter- used the term gender. And then it progressed to talking about gender fluidity, so where, whereby uh, a woman and a man should not be compartmentalized. Uh, it's almost uh, rebelling against the notion that God made them male and female. It is, in fact. Yeah. And um, and so, therefore, they want to homogenize everything, and gender fluidity uh, allows this conception. And so a person can change their gender. Um, you can be in a male body and call yourself a female and vice versa. Of course, biologically, that's ridiculous. But if you've removed biology from the whole equation and you simply have the word gender, uh, you can do anything with words. So we have that problem, and uh, I'll just add one thing here. I think that some of this is is insanity. Hmm. Uh, first of all, it's against nature. Secondly, it's against logic. And thirdly, it, it, it's a psychological problem when people of one sex feel that they are actually of another sex. I see it as something akin to an eating disorder, mm-hmm. a psychological problem. Uh, that needs to be addressed medically and not make everybody else conform to people's delusions. Now, um, we're getting close on time. I'm just thinking if someone is listening today, they've heard uh, a lot of uh, interesting um, observations here, some analysis. Um, They might be saying, well, what's the answer? He might say or she might say, I've got so much chaos in my life. I really want a mooring something stable. I want a stable home, quote-unquote. Uh, what would you say to such a person? Uh, you know, that's true. I would say uh, several things uh, to a person. Uh, first of all, we live in a chaotic world. I think you have to develop a strong sense of yourself, and there's every reason to do so because the Scripture addresses us as individuals uh, fundamentally. And so, therefore, I think you have to Uh, develop a strong sense of yourself in the right environment with people who are right thinking. Um, I also think, and uh, this means, I think, going to church. Uh, It means assembling yourselves together with with those uh, who can instruct you uh, in the Word of God, uh, who can encourage you, and to help you keep your sanity in a world that really is is insane at times. So uh, I, I would encourage, you know, the church attendance is falling off in many areas of our country. Um, we, every year we discover that fewer and fewer people 
are attending church. Mm. And fewer and fewer people are identifying uh, as believers. So I would say to those that are listening, and I assume that uh, our audience is an audience that is Christian for the most part, um, that I would encourage you to go to church and get into the fellowship of the saints and worshiping God and keeping yourself centered each day in Him. Otherwise, uh, I, I don't see how particularly the young can survive many of the attacks upon what I would just simply call rationality and nature. Yeah, well, that, that's great advice. And and uh, we recognize that uh, everybody is imperfect, our churches are imperfect, but um, they're that much closer to heaven. And you really, um, the Holy Spirit uses his word preached in a miraculous way. I, I can't even describe it, but, but God does a work in the heart, and uh, that, that brings real peace. Today we've been talking with Dr. John Vance, former pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York, now living in West Virginia. And uh, Dr. Vance, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Lead on, O oh God of mine.